Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? Hi, everybody. How are you doing? That's a new voice. I did not expect that to come out of you. I can talk like this all the time if you want. I can do the entire show like this. I No, please don't. Curses. <laughs> Uh, so today we're going to be talking about some of your questions. Uh, we've been going off on uh, some tangents and spoilers and things like that, which I know you people love. Uh, but we've been getting a little bit behind on some of our listener questions. And we want to make sure we get to those today uh, to sort of help make you make you feel like you're part of the show. Because you know what? You are. Uh, so if you have questions for the show, be sure to send them to podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can also send them to us in our Discord. We have a channel for patron and Q supporter and Q questions, uh, podcast and Q questions, something like that. It's I can't remember the name of it. I always blank on it every single time, and I always say exactly what it's not, but it's there. It has patron in the title. Uh, and if you're not a patron, you can go ahead. There's another one for just Q and podcast questions. We do look in those as well, as many of these questions did actually come from there. Uh, so without further ado, we're going to go back a, a little bit here, and we're going to get an old one from Shadana. Uh, question for Lorewatch. Uh, the... <laughs> from Shad, the race-confused Belf Paladin. After listening to your last lore watch, I started to think about how Loa come back and about Razan and Vol'jin. Caveat, I know this is all speculation and what will what will happen will also be dictated by where the story needs to go. But that aside, first, would Razan be back since he was corrupted or was his undeath a different process? Second, do we know how Vol'jin essentially became whatever he is? Didn't Bomsomni and the Lich King both seem unhappy with him? What do you think will happen with the most awesome Horde leader? I think Sylvanas will be fine. <laughs> oh, I just felt a whole bunch of people twig like just like twinge at that. <laughs> Sometimes I say things just to do that. <laughs> um 
So there is some spoilers that we could talk about there. Um, there is. I think a, you should. I think I, you should talk about the spoilers. <laughs> there is a whole section of Shadowlands that deals very specifically with uh, Bwamsamdi, Razan, the Loa coming back, and Vol'jin. Uh, as a matter of fact, the only thing I don't know and I'm not clear about is, and I'll need your help on this one, Matt, is whether or not they explained how Vol'jin got sort of elevated. I've seen nothing that explains it. That doesn't okay. mean they haven't. It means I haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it either, and I haven't seen it anywhere online. I may be missing it, so I apologize in advance. Uh, but there is a whole section about uh, basically Vol'jin figuring out who was the one that whispered in his ear. And again, mild spoilers here. Uh, we've been saying this for a while. It happened to William Wezala, who you know wants revenge and wants to consume the world and all that other good, happy stuff that he's been talking about for forever. He was the one that whispered in the ear of Vol'jin as he was dying. Also, we discovered that the Loa go through the same process of rebirth that the Wild Gods do uh, in Ardenweld, which is why the other side also happens to be situated near there. It's his own little corner of Ardenweld. Uh, and we do actually discover the fate of Razan. Um, he doesn't make it. That's the spoiler. Um, but in his place, he gives the last of his energy uh, from himself to Vol'jin, essentially making Vol'jin the new Loa of Kings, which is really, really interesting and has a whole lot of other implications. But even throughout all that, we still don't know how Vol'jin became what he was before that moment. Anything else you want to add to that one? Um, I mean... The corruption or the undead thing. Obviously, the undead thing didn't really matter. That was just his physical form. That wasn't. That was just a body. Uh, as for whether or not he could have come back after being corrupted, that's that's actually exactly what Ardenweald normally does. Uh, if you you watched the short, you saw that Ursok had been corrupted by the old gods. Then he died, and his spirit went back to Ardenweald to go through the process. So yeah, Razan would have come back if not for the situation in Ardenweald and his giving of himself to Vol'jin. Yeah. So that's just, you know, that's, I felt like that needed to, to get mentioned. Yeah. So if Ardenweald was working the way it was supposed to be working, he would have gone through the normal rebirth process. Uh, but there is also some of that, that gets dealt with, with the rest of them as well, which includes, uh, talking about Hyreek and talking about um, why can I never think of the turtle's name for whatever reason? I mean, neither. Yeah, the the turtle Loa from last expansion uh, the, that the Tortolans worshipped. Um, there's a whole section that deals with all of that. So you're going to get Torga. Whole, Torga, thank you. Uh, you're going to get a whole lot that deals with specifically the cycle of the Loa. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting to say the very least, especially if you are uh, interested in that particular aspect of uh, horde culture. Uh, our next question comes from our good friend, six K question for anyone brave enough. So like 
if I'm a time traveler and I screw up the past and come back to an alternate timeline when I die, do I go to the alternate timeline, the timeline's heaven with new people, or do I go to the heaven of the previous timeline, meaning that time travel has power over heaven and as now souls never existed that once did because, <laughs> wow, because then their afterlife is rendered null, or is everyone from both timelines in heaven and I become the axiom of expanded existence as an afterlife develops, not of parallel souls based on my time as a time traveler? Buckle in, folks. It it, it keeps going. <laughs> uh, and all time travelers and any time travel excursions, and to a lesser extent with time dilation, if I pass too close to the black hole, my twin brother ages 40 years on me. Okay. Uh, basically, the, the root of this question, I'm sorry, 6K, this is a really long one, um, is whether or not everything goes to the same afterlife or if there are branches of it uh, or paradoxes therein. And I think you talked about this last week. Yeah. Basically, and, you know, we can debate the sensibility of this argument, you know, all you'd like. The way they've got it set up, you if you, if you go have an alternate timeline with alternate versions of the people that you know, that's not a real place. It doesn't have the same... It's like the beings there, the people you meet there are echoes or fragments of the greater essence, the greater being that exists in the, in the true timeline. So we use Velen as an example. There's the Velen that we all know that we mm -hmm. just saw in Legion, uh, who isn't really showing up very much in battle for Azeroth. And I don't think we'll see much of him in Shadowlands, but that fella. And then there's the Velen we saw die in Warlords of Draenor. They're the same person as far as their soul is concerned. Like there's and, and the metaphor Steve Denuser, who is the narrative director of the game, used was that they are effectively like a rope. A rope isn't a coherent object, it's a thing. You can look at it, you can see it, but a rope is made up of smaller filaments all braided together. And so that 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 Velen on the alternate Draenor, and that alternate Draenor itself in a way, is a it's like a on, like a thread from the rope. If you pull the thread from the rope, it's still part of the rope. You've, un you've unwound it a bit. You've looked at its separateness, but it, it's still part of the rope. And that's the way these alternate timelines work. If you go back in time and you, you screw up the past and come back to an alternate timeline, that alternate timeline is still part of the main timeline. And everything in it is essentially an echo. It's a part of the things that are already in the main timeline. I know that there's a lot of problems with this. I, I made I mentioned several of them last week, like the whole idea that we just went to an alternate Draenor and recruited a whole bunch of alternate orcs to the Horde. And one of them, uh, you know, Overlord Gaera, is currently the Maghard, you know, racial leader. And she's the daughter of Durotan and Draka from an alternate timeline where there was no, they didn't have a boy's child. They just had the girl. Is she thrall? Does she is she sharing thrall's soul? Does she have somebody? Else? I, I get that. I get the problem, but nevertheless, that's the argument. The argument is there's no there's no real existence to alternate time ways. We keep calling them timelines. We shouldn't be calling them timelines because that's not the terminology that WoW uses. If you go back to thrall, uh, was it thrall Twilight of the Aspects? Is that what it's called? Like never yeah, Twilight that. Twilight of the Aspects. When you go back to that book, Thrall goes to several alternate timeways. They're specifically called timeways. And in them, he sees versions of himself 
and Blackmore and Teresa that live different lives. But the book goes out of its way to basically argue this isn't real. It's real in that you can touch it and experience it, but it's it can it will collapse back into the main timeline. Anything like that, any alternate timeway is inherently unstable in WoW lore. They don't last. They they collapse back into the main timeline. And they're part of that whole idea. Like one of those things that, that gets brought up from time to time when talking about memory is that memory is unreliable. You don't remember things the way they actually were. You remember them based on you. Mm-hmm. Um, one game that plays a lot with this idea is Dragon Age, where they have the spirits of the Fade that are like entities that are attracted to our world at sites where the veil between our world and their world is thin. And one guy said, yes, I've seen the battle at Ostagar through the spirits of the Fade. And she's like, oh, what really happened? He goes, I can't tell you what really happened. I can only tell you what the spirits think happened. Because they they are creatures of belief and they experience everybody's opinion about what happened. They think it's all real. With alternate timeways in, in Warcraft, because of the their nature, there's no the, the Shadowlands don't exist in time. They're timeless. They are outside of time. That's why time doesn't work there the same way. As a result of that, even though it makes absolutely no sense to us. There's just one Velen soul, and that soul, when it ends up in the Shadowlands, will just be one Velen soul. Essentially, every alternate version of a character you see is just going to be subsumed back into the main version of the character upon death. And I don't know how that works. <laughs> yeah, we, we, but, we don't yeah. have a whole lot of how that actually like functions in... like. I don't... Game. like If you're playing a Maghar orc... You don't have a soul, or you do have a soul, but it's actually in this other orc. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I can't explain it to you, but that's the basic premise: that there's there's like one entity, and you're part of it. And in a way, it kind of makes sense if you think about each alternate version of a character as reflections. If you know, for instance. Um, Yorel that we met on Draenor, uh, you know, in Warlords of Draenor, is a reflection of the real Yorel who may not even exist in our timeline. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what that means for her, but that would still be the case. The Duraton and Draka we met over there, don't they don't you're not going to meet them in our Shadowlands. Essentially, this is just a way of saying stop trying to find edge cases so you can have three Drakas in a pile. You're just going to meet the one Draka, and she's not going to know what you're talking about. If you say, hey, remember when I went to Draenor, and and you you guys had a kid? No, she doesn't know what you're talking about. She's from our timeline, because that's the only one that exists. Yeah, this is the weird thing when you start getting into alternate timelines, and this is one of those things that, like... It's not a weird thing that happens when you get into alternate timelines, unless someone does this. Yeah. This, This was a choice. This was a choice. I was going to say, in specifically, like, the whole Warlord... I'm calling it the Warlords of Draenor Paradox, because it really is 100% born of that. Uh, We don't know. And, you know, Steve very clearly has a uh, vision of where he wants to go, a path where he wants to go with it, uh, or at least where where he wants it to be. And we don't know how that everything fits into that path quite yet. So... 
no idea how that's going to be for the Magar, no idea how that's going to be for things that are pulled into the timeline. The other thing that I thought was interesting about it is this was essentially the primary function of the Bronze Dragonflight was to ensure that everything got wrapped up into one very specific timeline. But it raised the question that I never knew existed until recently, which is what happens if they pull something into the prime timeline that wasn't there before? Because very clearly that can happen. Like Thrall's gender flip sister. Exactly, because that can happen now. Every Makar orc that comes from Drain from Draenor, that other alternate Draenor, now fits that, and that is a paradox that 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 doesn't have a solid answer. Because do they exist elsewhere? Are they reflections of other orcs that exist in our world? Are they reflections of orcs that never existed? Um, what does that mean for the dragon flights? What does that mean for their purpose? Does that mean that they could alter? the timeline by just pulling things into it without being fully malicious. Don't know. Don't know the implications of that. We probably won't see the implications of that until well after Shadowlands, because that really isn't the storyline we're dealing with at all here. Uh, it's sort of on that side plot kind of thing where it's like, this will probably be something we come back to later. At least I would guess. But yeah, right now, your guess is as good as mine of how this is actually all going to work out or what this actually means, but it's going to be weird. Our next question comes from Miraline. Uh, question for Lorewatch. The new Exploring Azeroth Eastern Kingdoms book was delayed to November 24th on the same day they announced the Shadowlands delay. Do we know if they delayed the book because of Shadowlands or is this just seeing yet another hashtag 2020? In any case, is there anything in the book you are excited about or hoping to see more of? We absolutely do not know why they delayed the book. That's just, we know that they delayed the book, not why. I mean, unless Joe has some knowledge, I don't. No, I wish I did. I wish I was the amazing Kreskin, but unfortunately I don't. I don't have any uh, insider knowledge on that. Um, I admit I tossed that to Joe just because I was eating some cookie dough and I wanted <laughs> to get it out. Uh, but I guess the, the other side of the question is, is there anything in that book in particular that you are excited about? I'm kind of excited just for the book. Um, I, I want to see what the, what the canonical shape of the Eastern kingdoms is like right now. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm assuming the book is set post battle for Azeroth kind of coterminous with shadowlands in terms of its content. So I'm hoping to get an idea. What does the Eastern kingdoms look like now? Who's, who's got Lord on? Does anybody have Lord on? The Forsaken held, you know, Silver Pine, Lord Aran. I mean, the the part Terrasfall Glades area. Anyway, um, the, you know, I want to say Alterac. Yeah, Alterac. They had Alterac, right? Because Harren Mills considered part of Alterac, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, that whole area and a, a big chunk of, uh, you know, Arathi Highlands. We know that canonically, the Alliance won the battle at Arathi. Both Arathi and and the Darkshore Warfront were Alliance victories. So I assume the Alliance has Arathi now, just all of it. What else do they have? Like, how, what? who's got what? I am curious to see that. I'm curious to see what happened to all the Forsaken who couldn't get evacuated right away. Are, did they head over to... Oh, heck. It's in the Eastern Plaguelands. Uh, whew. 
It's where Chromie used to offer that quest in, in Vanilla. It's oh. to where Sylvanas pulled that that Death Knight into, you know, tortured him for a while. That that er, that town. I vaguely remember what you're talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, but I can't remember the name of the town. But so one where like one of the not Darrowshire. No, not Darrowshire. This is Eastern Plaguelands, not West. This is Western Plaguelands, not Eastern Plaguelands. Oh, I thought you said Eastern. My bad. My bad. I did say that. I was wrong. But oh, it's right near Chilwin Camp. I can't remember the name of this stupid town. But that town was in Horde hands by the end of, of that quest line. Is it still? I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. Did, did the, the, the Worgen have Gilneas back? If not, why not? Is it the plague is just so bad there that they can't go back? I mean, there's a lot of stuff I would like to know the answer to this. I mean, has Stormwind finally started actually like taking care of all those places that are technically part of it? Like, Darkshire and and Westfall and and you know, there's just hey, a lot of areas. Darkshire has been a, in a dire straits for since we started playing the game. Yeah, and I I know that the alliance just went through another ridiculously you know costly war. At some point, y'all gotta start putting some resources into your towns. I mean, you know, sooner or later, the trolls in Stranglethorn are going to figure out that you guys have not been taking care of your stuff and are going to come up. So, and for that matter, what's going on in Stranglethorn? Hakar's, we know, spoilers for Shadowlands, Hakar's off doing his own thing somewhere else. Um, but, you know, the, the, the Gurubashi trolls, what have they been doing this whole time? Well, the Zandalari are on a resurgence kick. Uh, half the trolls in the world have lost, you know, a, quite a lot. What are the Gurubashi doing right now? What have they been doing since Vol'jin stopped them from, from rising? What, what, what's going on down there? There's a ton of stuff I want to know. Um, yeah, so yeah, I, I, there's, there's so much that I, I'm interested in that I can't sit down and pick up any one thing. Yeah, the, the interesting thing for me is going to be the whole setup for the book, right? Like it's, it's our spy master and our resident favorite pirate going through on an adventure cataloging Azeroth, something that we've asked them to do for a long time that they're finally doing. And it's not just the current state of things, it's digging for secrets. And that's one of the taglines in the book that I'm actually really interested in, is what secrets are uncovered in these areas. Uh, and that makes me think that we're going to either get uh, more nuggets of, of sort of like jumping off points for the future, uh, or we're going to get some answers to some older things that may have gone stale or cold. Uh, we talk about this a lot. There's a lot of quests that can't be completed anymore or that their chains are broken because of everything that's changed from the way the game was first released through Cataclysm and now now. So this might be an interesting way to give sort of closure to some of those stories, uh, but also kind of tell us where everything is at and take the next steps. The other thing I'm really interested in is one of the, one of the items I talked about was uh, the spells, powers, armor, and armaments of all of these regions. Now this is the D and D nerd in me really, really wanting this part of this book is because I love, 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 love when there are like cultural um, flavor to like weapons and armor and when fantasy settings actually take that into account. Um, 
we talk about this a lot on, on the tabletop side of things where like a lot of the uh, stuff we're used to with arms and armor is very Eastern European and that's sort of the end of it. But there are so many other cultures out there that have their own, like historically they have their own versions of everything basically based off of what resources were in the area, based off of what the political climate was like. Um, like D and D we talk about monk weapons, you know, they're not actually weapons. They were farmers utensils. They got repurposed. And even they talk about that in Pandaria where that is something where they talk about, you know, the Pandarans weren't allowed to have weapons. So they learned how to fight with their fists and they learned how to fight with, you know, farming implements. And that's where this all came from. WoW has something like this in place that hasn't really been explored. And yet we see a little bit about it with Transmog, but seeing something where you could say, this is how, this is the traditional X of this region, and this is Y, and sort of having some of those pieces put into place is going to be fascinating to me. And that's probably one of the things that I'm going to spend a lot of time with because I'm probably going to steal a bunch of it and use it in some of my D&D games. Uh, anything else you want to say on that one before we move on? Uh, you're lucky we don't have a lot of time because you almost triggered my rant about why there are weapon types that we consider fundamental and classic to role-playing games that only really existed in Western Europe mm-hmm. because Western Europe was a was a uh, military culture different than other cultures worldwide. The quote-unquote two-handed sword is almost exclusive to Europe. The only other place that really had anything like it was certain certain very military areas in Asia. And even then, it wasn't like the one, the, the flamberge or the, the Zwiehander or what have you. It's a very different weapon. It's more of a polearm mm-hmm. than, say, the Nodachi from, from Japan. Different weapon, different uses. Um, that's something that we often assume, oh, this is, you know, here's one example. Ancient Greece didn't have any of it. They didn't. They barely had axes. They they knew what axes were, but they were mostly tools. A giant two-headed labrys axe was the symbol of ancient Crete. But the the ancient Greeks, by the time you know, so let's say you know BC four hundred, were not going around using big two-handed axes. They had spears. The spear was king of war. They they used shorter swords as a personal weapon if you your spear broke or you were in a scrum. Yeah, it was, a, si- phalanx it was a, side, apart, a sidearm at that point. Yeah, if the phalanx had fallen apart, okay, now I'll use this. Or am I too poor to have a spear? Because your spear is important. Um, and of course, as as warfare went on, spears got to be like 20, 30 feet long. Uh, the sarissa got to be pretty freaking big. And all of this is just my saying that's the kind of thing that Joe's talking about in terms of culture. There are cultural differences. One of the things I loved about the artifacts was stuff like Stromkalar, where it was it was basically not a human weapon. It was a, a Vrykul weapon that they kept. And so as they got smaller, the weapon got bigger. <laughs> Stromkalar was probably a, a one-handed Vrykul blade. And then as their descendants got smaller and smaller, they started using it as a two-handed weapon because it was that to. big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
that's but the yeah. kind of thing I would like to see in the Eastern Kingdoms. I'd like to see some acknowledgement of all the stuff that we've seen bits and pieces, because that's a thing. And I, I do want us to move on to this next question, so I'm going to try well, to make but, this short. But, but the Eastern, I was going to say, the Eastern Kingdoms is such a variety of races and cultures that... Yeah, and I mean, we know from, like, say, I mentioned Stromkala, from, from like, Stromkar, there's, there's basically other quests, other little mentions, other things here and there that have set up the the cultural exchange of the Eastern kingdoms that we don't, we've never had set down in one place, not even in Chronicle. I would love if they do that here. I would love if this book does that. If it talks about how, you know, before the sundering, these peoples lived here after the sundering, you know, here's how these people got here. Like tie together the Drust and the Vrykul and the islands and all of it. Tie together all these different peoples. How did they get there? How did they settle? Were they, did they, were they peaceful with each other? Were they milit- militant with each other? How did, you know, who warred what? You know, stuff like that. I'm very much looking forward to that, too. Yeah, I think it's going to be a good, good time, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. Sad that I have to wait till November 24th, but I'm okay with it because all good things come to those who wait, or so I'm told. So, our next one comes from King Pluto. Question for Lorewatch. Night Elf Warrior on Stormrage, could the thing Sylvanas as Helia for be her, her soul? As Arthas took it from her, it has to be somewhere, and her being death itself, she might know. That's an interesting question to me. Because we know that a soul can be split by Frostmourne, because it's exactly what happened with Uther. And if that's the case, if there's other pieces of Sylvanas's soul rolling around, is that something she would even want? And that is a very, very interesting proposition. What would that mean? Why would she want that? What? Why would that be the deal? Is that because with that she hopes to merge and escape the cage of undeath or darkness that she thinks she's trapped in? Because we talked about the scene only darkness thing over and over and over again over years at this point. I posited a few weeks ago that maybe that's because her soul's been split and what's actually in that physical form right now or what was the Banshee isn't really her but an echo. Um, Is that because that's what the echo sees is because it's not the real soul. It's not the real piece. It's just a thread on that rope. Is she looking for the rest of it to merge it so that she doesn't truly disappear? I don't know, but I it's a fascinating question to think about. What do you think? Do you think that's something that she would possibly be after? And if so, why? I don't think it's that what she asked for, and so I don't think it's what she's looking for. Okay, what do you think she asked for? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm being a little difficult on purpose, but here's the thing. I mean, obviously, I can't answer this question. Yeah, it's all speculation. Uh, I would one of the things Joe had just talked about was the idea that you know if the, if we go back to that soul as the rope and then you know we don't know that Frostmourne does anything like this. That's the thing we keep assuming that it's Frostmourne that did this. We know that Frostmourne scarred Uther, and we saw that it it looked like he was being torn apart. We don't know that it was just Frostmourne that did this. Like, we don't know that this is an inherent aspect of Frostmourne's power. It's just as likely that it's because Uther is blessed by the light. And we saw that over Uther's soul or body, you know, when he was being stabbed with Frostmourne, there were two things. 
One were the icy blue tendrils that looked like the magic of Frostmourne reaching out. And then there were golden tendrils on the other side of him. We don't know that those golden tendrils had anything to do with what Frostmourne does. Frostmourne could have been trying to pull his entire soul into it. And something could have prevented it from happening. Yeah, and that might not be something that happened for Sylvanas. Sylvanas wasn't particularly part of the Holy Light. She didn't revere well, it over much. She wasn't blessed by it in any specific way. That doesn't I, I, mean that her soul is gone or consumed. It just means that we don't know that her soul was split. It's quite possible that she got pulled into Frostmourne, and then he, to torment her, put a piece of her into the Banshee body, or all of her. And I don't know, I don't know that Arthas knew what he was doing. You know, Arthas wasn't the now, Lich King when he did that to her. Before we go any further, I think we should, I should go through the next question because it does tie into this as we're talking about it as a broader scope of things. So for right now, uh, this another one comes from Gold Grip, which is, we, uh, howdy watchers, we have some new revelations with the Bastion short, although I do have one question. What's up with Frostmourne's soul stealing in relation to the Shadowlands? Arthas definitely took Uther's soul, but Uther still ended up in the Shadowlands, albeit with a wound from it. And Uther's spirit still appeared during Wrath with uh, kinder, more forgiving words for Arthas after his defeat. While we see that that is not so much what Kyrian Uther has to say. Was Uther's soul split in two? Were they rejoined when Frostmourne was broken? Could this hint towards any story revolving around Sylvanas and a possible lost soul fragment from Frostmourne? Uh, long yeah, live I, Matt, Matt the it, Ogre. Yeah, and no, because you spelled it wrong. Uh, the other Matt only has one T. Um, <laughs> I, like I said, we don't know that Frostmourne split souls or if that was a specific case for Uther. And we don't know the circumstances around exactly what happened to Uther. We don't know what became of the part of Uther's soul, if that was part of Uther's soul, that we saw at Ice Crown Citadel. We don't know the answer to these questions. We All we have is what we can speculate on, that, that we certainly saw Uther several times, that he talked to us, that he told us things like there must always be a Lich King, um, that he was one of many spirits we saw. We also saw King Terranus. Mm -hmm. slain by Frostmourne. We saw him. He raised us from the dead. If you did, you know, if you were doing that stupid Lich King fight, you Terranus Menethil raised you from the dead a lot at one point. Um, actually, once Terranus raises you, the fight's over. You've won. Um, but if you if you cleared that fight a few times, you, you got to have it happen once a week. Sometimes twice a week if you did it on 10 and 25. Mm -hmm. Some of us were suckers. But my point being, I don't know if that was just part of Terranus. Or all of Terranus. Or if it even was Terranus, if it, it yeah. could have been. We, we know that uh, the Nathrezim can appear as spirits. Yeah, but I don't think the Nathrezim... That, that felt more like a Kyrian. Mm, fair. And that's an interesting thing to think about. But then again, you know, Nathrezim... If the Nathrezim are involved in all this other stuff... We, we know that Muizala is supposedly the reason that uh, Odin got the ability to make Valkyr. And the Valkyr are, ba are basically reverse engineered Kyrian to the point where Helia now controls the, the, the forsworn Kyrian, the Kyrian that have broken their oaths and are serving the jailer report to Helia who was a, a, a Valkyr. So there's, there's a lot of back and forth on this. I, I think we're going to have to pay attention and watch the story of Shadowlands to get the answers to these questions. But since I'm being asked to speculate, 
especially on the Sylvanas thing. If Sylvanas knew that she didn't have a soul, like if she's like at some point, if, if she doesn't, and I can't even tell you if she does or not, but let's assume that Sylvanas finds out I don't really have my soul. My soul is not in me. Uh, some I'm tethered to it, but it's not here. She might ask for it. If she was asking for it, she might want it so she can put it somewhere where nobody can get to it. Because look at what happened. Do you guys remember the Matthias Linhair quest? Yeah. In that quest, Arthas, when he became the Lich King, quote-unquote, tore out his heart. Now, he didn't just rip out a physical object, look at it for a while, and go, wow, this thing used to beat inside my chest before I died. Crazy. He, When he says he tore out his heart, the heart, when we, we find it, is this pulsating black crystal. Mm -hmm. And in that thing was all of his mercy and compassion and the stuff that, you know, you could blame his fall for. Because while he was, I think he was singularly unequipped to deal with the crisis he was given. And certainly he was arrogant and prideful and made everything personal. He did care about his people. He, you know, was it a selfish love? Yes, yes, it was a selfish love. He was a selfish person. But you can be selfish and still love other people. You can be selfish and still care about other people. I think he did care about his people. He just, he cared about his people because to him, his people and he were the same thing. Like the, his people were the physical manifestation of the thing that he had been training to do his entire life. It, it was a very personal identification. That doesn't mean it wasn't valid. He wasn't a, he wasn't a cardboard cutout. He was a person. He had hopes and dreams and fear. Uh, when he saw how upset his sister was at, at, try, at being forced to marry someone, he, you know, it, it wasn't like he didn't feel about it like, oh, this is an injustice I must try and correct. But he did care for her. He did feel bad that she was upset. He did not want her to feel upset. He wasn't cruel for his own, you know, just for cruelty's sake. And of course, this is before Frostmourne, but that's my point. There was a person in there. And when he got Frostmourne, it seemed like that stopped. Like all the stuff that made him who he was stopped. Mm -hmm. But when he became the Lich King, he tore his heart out, we're told. Thank you for that dramatic sting. Um, and, and so when he did that, he became cold and inflexible and no longer, you know, didn't care anymore. Why did he have to do that? Yeah. Why, why was that a necessity? Because is it what, you know, and I don't have an answer to that question, but it seems likely that it has something to do with the fact that he now had the helm of domination. You know, now that yeah. he was wearing the helm of domination, he has control over everything Frostmourne does. The helm of domination might've been the far more powerful object. Frostmourne was a means to corrupt somebody, but the helm of domination allowed him to dominate things. And you, you even get to see that in Shadowlands when you have the fragments of the helm in your bags. You can use those fragments to dominate various Shadowlands spirits. Mm -hmm. um, but, but a lot of this is, you know, the point being, why did, why did Arthas need to tear out his, all his, you know, his mercy and compassion and love and all that? Why wasn't it already gone? And how did he do that? And what's the difference between that and your soul? And did Arthas tear out or never return Sylvanas' soul to her body? Did he tether the, the body to the soul in some way? Or did he split her soul somehow? Can he, could he consciously do that? Or did he unconsciously do it because Sylvanas, in some fashion, was beloved in some way that, that allowed her soul to survive? Or her own indomitability did? I don't know the answers to these questions. 
but my point is they're there and we can certainly think about them. I don't think the Uther we saw in the, in the Shadowlands short, the afterlife short, I don't think Kyrian Uther and the Uther we saw in game, like when we go to his grave or that atop place front Citadel, I don't think they're different beings. I don't think the Uther that we see is an imposter. I think that they, the braid metaphor that we, we have for alternate timeline versions of ourselves also works here. Mm-hmm. And that Uther's soul was, it, it's like taking a chunk of rope and hacking at it. You know, you, you, you cut it and there's all these frayed threads that no longer contribute to the strength of the rope anymore. The rope is sundered in a way that makes, you know, it's very difficult to figure out how you're going to fix this thing, but it's still a rope at the end of the day. You know, it's still part of the same object. It's been braided together all this way. It's braided together all that way, but there, there's a whole, there's this rent in it. Can you fix that rent? I don't know. This is a metaphor, but I definitely think that that's a possibility for, for Sylvanas as well. If, if that's what happened to her, because here's the thing, Arthas, Arthas killed both Uther and Sylvanas while he was not the Lich King. He had Frostmourne. He did not have the Helm of Domination. He was not in full possession of its power. He was not in full possession of what Ner'zhul knew. Not only that, but... Go ahead. I was going to say, the other thing that we have to consider too well is some of the stuff that we've learned from Maldraxxus, which is that the sort of rune blades have... Uh, an intelligence about them. They're not just 100% inanimate objects anymore. Like that was one of the things like when you, and again, mild spoilers, but I think at this point we're, we're past that for, for this particular part of it. One of the things you do as you're moving through Maldraxxus is you recover the blade of the, the Primus and the blade of the Primus is not a dormant thing. Uh, it is not something that is, you know, just, a, a sword it's more than that it has more to it it has things that trigger off of like specific power and and memory and whatnot and it looks an awful lot like Frostmourne. so there is and, entirely the possibility of what rossi's saying is right where Frostmourne was just doing whatever Frostmourne wanted to do and making arthas kind of do whatever it wanted him to do a little bit and then when the helm of domination came into it came into the play that's when it started being focused because at that point Frostmourne was being dominated and also we should point out too in the afterlives bastion short we're told by by Divos when when she sees into uther that the she recognizes the runes on the blade as, as being related to the maw. Mm-hmm. And she recognizes the power being channeled as being related to the maw. The sword you see in Maldraxxus is not channeling the power of the maw. Correct. Now, the maw isn't supposed to be able to do this. So there's a lot going on here. I would not be surprised to find out that Sylvanas's first experience with the Jailer was when she was killed the first time by that sword because that sword was channeling the power of the maw which would be the jailer's power or at least the power the jailer has access to right we can i think that's a safe assumption and i mean it's still an assumption those at home but i think it's a safe one that if that is what happened her first interaction she would have been known at that point if it's a bound object to the power of the jailer bound to the soul soul linked to the jailer yeah, and it's interesting to notice that Uther 
is the the way that all the Forsworn start popping up after Uther is ascended. Yeah. After Devos, I want to say Devos. Is it Devos or Demos? I can never remember her name. Devos. Okay. Devos interfaces with Uther, looks into him, and sees what's happening to him, and starts changing almost immediately. It's like her ascending Uther, you know, granted she did it after the Archon basically told her to shut up and go back to where things are supposed to be. Stop bothering me with this. It's not possible, and I don't want to hear it anymore. But. She went really quick from the Maw must be stopped to let's work with the Maw. And that happened after she interfaced with Uther, who I, has been stabbed by Frostmourne, the sword that's channeling the power I, of the I was going to say, not just interfacing with Uther, after she found the wound. Yep. After, after she specifically found and touched that wound. After she flashed into it after she was like you said interface with it is a really great way to put it because she was able to see what did that do did that instantaneously start the corruption is it the same corruption that and was left behind we, keep in mind that's where we have that image of of Uther being stabbed and the two opposing forces over his soul that's where it comes from mm-hmm. that's the sword it's potentially the sword showing her what it wants her to see so there's, it's quite possible that we've that the, the Jailer's plan has been working through this sword since Warcraft 3, since we're told it is directly channeling the power of the Maw. So there is a lot more to this than we understand. It's quite possible Sylvanas went down there to talk to Helia because she knew to do so because Frostmourne was so intimately involved in her creation. Because Arthas didn't just kill her with it. He used it to turn her into a Banshee. Yeah. And later she reclaimed her. She reclaimed that body. He didn't get that body for her. She went out and found it and put herself in it. How did she know how to do that? It's not like that's something they teach you at ranger school. And if you're ever murdered by a, you know, a rune blade, here's how to get your body back. That, that, no, that is, that is not what they teach you in the Farst Riders. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I'm not saying it wouldn't be handy. I'm just saying that they don't do that. So how did she know how to do it? Did he tell her how to do that? That does not strike me as something Arthas would have told her to do. No. The whole point of her, him turning her into a banshee in the first place was to torment her. Why let her reclaim any of her physical existence? That's not the point. I, I did this to you to punish you for being a pain in my butt. See, there's a lot going on here that we don't know the answer to yet. Yeah, so, I mean, and that's something that we'll probably find out as time goes on, as we start unraveling the secrets of the Helm of Domination, as we start moving further through the Maw. But it is definitely interesting to think about. Along that same line, we do have a question from our friend Alessoff the Belf Pally. Uh, in episode 139, there was a question about whether Frostmourne was the thing that broke the mechanism of death. Now that we've confirmed Frostmourne is from the Shadowlands, could you revisit your answer? Um, I still am going to hold fast to my answer that I do not believe that Frostmourne is the thing that broke the engine of death. Uh, I don't think it, it, it's going to sound weird to say this. It's probably the smallest amount of power in the grand scheme of things that we are currently dealing with. Uh, like it's a dangerous artifact. It is a thing of, of that should be feared and has definitely wrought a whole lot of, of havoc and is only getting stronger now that it is being been reforged, uh, or shards exist in, in different forms now, but I don't think it itself is what broke 
the machinery of death or the mechanisms of death. Um, I would still f- be hard pressed to figure out how the sword itself would have done that because essentially the mechanism of death being subverted is that the arbiter is, is inert right now. The arbiter is not doing their job. It can't do its job. Um, and as a result of that, the souls aren't being weighed, judged or anything. Um, the souls aren't even being brought to Orbus. Uh, it's just not, happening it's a breakdown at a massive scale the, the like, if souls aren't coming in the Kyrian aren't getting them to bring them to other places uh, Ardenwald's going through its own drought you have Revendreth who's funneling uh, all of its anima to its upper crust and then eventually to the maw itself uh, and then you have Maldraxxus who's in the middle of a, a massive civil war the sword isn't a factor with all of those things, but all those things contribute to the machinery breaking down. And so I think that it's more likely events than one specific item. And I think it's multiple events that have caused it because let's look at Maldraxxus. Maldraxxus, all of those houses are on alert and at war with each other, but that's because the prime is gone. Right, the, the the first leader of, of this, the founder of Maldraxxus, one of the ancient beings that helped create these zones in the Shadowlands, is gone. They don't know what happened to him. They don't know where he is. They don't know if he's even still in existence. His power is still felt. His influence is still there. But without him there to keep things in check, literally, what, two of the houses of the five are completely destroyed at this point? Uh the Draka's House of Eyes, I think it was she was about she was part of. Same with um Baroness Vaj. They were part of the House of Eyes. No longer exists. They're all that's left of it. Uh it's literally the House of the Chosen versus the other two. Uh, and I can't remember them, but but it's basically I think it's the Necrolords and can't remember the other one, but it's basically liches and flesh stitchers. Uh that are fighting against ones that are essentially the good guys? Question mark? But that's a whole breakdown there. Ardenweld not being able to cycle souls back into reality uh, or the prime material plane, that's a breakdown as well. Revendreth starving means that souls aren't becoming, or they're not getting their repentance. They're not getting to that point where they can be elevated or moved through the machinery anymore. Like, that's an event that probably has massive implications for the other ones because now souls aren't going to, you know, Ardenweld after this or they're not being ascended into more Venthyr. Um, and then Bastion, we talked about the, the Mossworn and what's going on there. That started happening before we got there. That started happening before Uther. Matt pointed this out over the last couple of weeks when I asked him some questions about it because I haven't spent a whole lot of time in Bastion, but he was right. And I went back and I looked at it. As you're moving around, as you first get there, there are despondent creatures that uh, experience that have failed. That means that they're not going through the experience trail. They're not becoming carrying or not doing what they need to do or their continued failure means that whatever animal was being pulled from them uh, in terms of their memories 
aren't being pulled from them in terms of their memories. And we know now that when Anima is pulled out of people or souls in the Shadowlands in whatever capacity, that's how they do it, whether it's repentance in Revendreth or, you know, taking the memories away in Bastion, that's used as the fuel, that's used as the Anima for the entirety of everything that is going on in that zone. So this has been a slow, long breakdown that, I don't think we know what the very first domino that started to fall was yet. And there's also other things to keep in mind. One is that we've been told repeatedly that time is not a concept in the Shadowlands. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So actually trying to figure out when this happened is extremely difficult when you are dealing with a timeless place. It's, it's hard to know. You can't sync it up to anything that happened in our world because time doesn't actually work there. Like, Waiting for Uther and uh, Devos waiting for Arthas to die, that could have taken them subjectively 10,000 years. There's no real concept of time there. So as far as they were concerned, who knows how long Uther experienced the subjective effects of attempting to purify himself before she ascended him anyway. That's, that's impossible to determine. Do I think Frostmourne was part of the Jailer's plan? Yes, absolutely I do. I think it was part of the plan. Do I think it's the thing that broke the mechanism of death? I'm going to tell you that right now, I don't think the mechanism of death is broken. All the stuff still works. It's, yep. it's not. Imagine if you have a giant sorting machine. The sorting machine is set up so stuff is fed into it. It goes through various devices that tell it where these the stuff should go. And almost nothing is supposed to go to the to the overflow bin that's just there so that if something gets through you know or something we can't figure out where to put it it goes there we have to have some place to put that but that's not where things are supposed to go that's not the you know the whole goal of this giant apparatus is to sort these things out and send them to where they're supposed to go that place isn't where they're supposed to go but some things end up there because we have to have a place for that and maybe we, you know, maybe we'll just let it stay there because we don't have anything else to do with it. Or maybe we'll go through and check them and say, oh, this didn't go where it was supposed to go because there was a problem with this. We'll put it back in the system now that we know that. This is, all a, this is a terribly complicated metaphor to say, I think that the Maw is not supposed to be a place things go. Like Revendreth, the very existence of Revendreth implies that no matter how bad you are, they'll try and fix you. And only when you are broken and completely, like, incapable of either repentance or even being farmed anymore. Like, when you are drained dry but you still can't repent, that's when you get thrown into yesterday's trash, otherwise known as the Maw. The Maw, I think, is a prison slash obulette. Yeah, it's certainly one way to look at it. I think Joe might be onto something. But my point is just that, so, in a system where there's a big sorting machine that decides everything it or in order for that to break all you need to do is to, to like take out the point of interface between the sorting decision and the things being sorted that's all you have to do to disable it yeah you don't have to like you know maybe it's hard to get in there maybe you'll have to do a lot of stuff to get yourself in the right position so you can do that but once you've gotten yourself into that position okay you've done it you've you've now disabled it everything is flowing into the crapshoot now what and i think that that's the stage of the plan we're on 
we are at the point where we are going to find out why you'd break it. Yeah, and, and I was going to say the thing to keep in mind is that we we have to a system a system being broken can mean a lot of different things. And I think one of the fundamental problems that we have as a group of of players is when we think of broken, we think of it in terms of like gear where like it has to be repaired because it's completely non-functional. It, it, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's the only definition of broken applying here. And I think Matt's on the, like, he's absolutely right, where the system is still capable of working. We we actually see that with, like, Ardenweld, where the, fu- the fundamental functions of it can still be done. There's just not enough juice to keep making them work. And you see and that... I was going to say, when we bring Ysera back through her pod, like, that's what we're doing is we're taking, we're robbing Peter to pay Paul, uh, to, to use the old adage, and we're, the system still works. She's still reborn. She's still brought back from her seed. So it functions. It just can't at the grand scale, the grand scale. So when it's broken, it just means that it, it it's out of juice. It's out of... Oh. Yeah, Sorry. what's one way to look at it? Maybe it's out of use. Or another way to look at it is um, t- to use traffic signals for a second. Say you've got a big interchange of roads, and ordinarily the lights come on and come off, and they tell you, "Okay, go now, stop now, go now, stop." If all the the lights go out, the road is fine. Nothing has happened to the interchange. It's exactly the way it was, but you can't drive through it safely anymore because nobody knows when they're supposed to stop. Mm-hmm. You will get pileups. You will get snarls and disasters. But the road is fine. There's, if Once you get those lights working again, the road would work the way it did before. That's the arbiter's role. The arbiter is the conductor. The arbiter is the one who decides this to there, this to there, these to here. With the arbiter not doing that, the sluice gate just goes straight to the dump. I think that's that's more along the lines. I don't think any machinery was broken. I don't think any mechanism was destroyed. I think it's someone has stopped doing their job for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And when we find out why or how the Arbiter stopped doing their job, that'll tell us something. But I think that it's less important why the Arbiter stopped than it is how do we get it to start. Yeah. And more importantly, what why would the jailer do this? What, to what benefit is it? Like, what's the now, end game? We, we yeah. still don't know the end game yet. No, we have no idea what the jailer is doing. We know the jailer is making like horrible monstrosities out of souls. He's making literal like golems made out of like metal that has been hammered out of souls. Uh, we know that he's doing some terrifying things. We don't know to what end. Is he going to just try and invade all the Shadowlands and conquer them one by one? Uh, how it's cow can he leave the maw now can he not leave the maw how is azeroth come in you know involved in this we know from the the pre-expansion event that we were going to start seeing in about a week now uh that there's quests that imply that the arbiter wants azeroth's soul what does he want it for you know that, that that's the thing we don't know yet we don't know what the sh- what the jailer is actually doing why is the jailer testing the people that he had kidnapped 
Yeah, and that, and that, that's that, yeah, that like he's not just draining their anima, like he's testing them, he's probing, he's looking for something. Why? What is he doing there? Like when we come across Anduin, like he's chained up, he's not being bled, he's not being, you know, tortured for his anima or anything. Like the ones we come across in Torghast, it's the same thing. And Thrall specifically makes the point. You know, it's like he wants something, but we don't. But he never says anything. He doesn't ask you any questions. He doesn't say what he wants. He just he's trying to figure out something by testing us. Yeah, which and is a scary prospect because what does that even mean? What what is he doing? Right? Why and, is he like? Why did he take those specific people? Well, you know, what is 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 what they do in in the face of the maw? Is that the thing he's trying to figure out? Like, what's going on? And that's the thing that's really more, way more interesting than when exactly did this break? It doesn't matter when it broke. What matters is what happens when it breaks. What and is being done? Why would you break it? If, you, if you've got somebody who's got a system and they want to break it and they're, they're breaking it in a very specific way. And they're, you know, obviously he's getting resources out of this. But what does he want those resources for? And what does it have to do with like the things we see when we go there? That so that there's there's some interesting stuff here involving all of this, the the idea about but Frostmourne is Frostmourne is certainly a part of it, absolutely it is, but it is not the thing that broke you know in, unless you look at it as possibly the straw that breaks the camel's back sort of situation, like maybe Frostmourne was the one last thing that toppled it, but even this then. stuff has been this stuff has been falling apart for a very long time. Yes, yeah, subjectively uh, for design for design that's absolutely what the jailer wanted. And we'll find out more as Shadowlands progresses on. But I think that's going to do it for us today. So if you have any further questions for oh, us. And let me interrupt oh, you. Question. Uh, I'm not going to like read the whole thing. But um, the thing that comes up next, the next question, I just want to say to the person who wrote it, whose name I can't find in this email. No, is necrosis. That, is that necrosis. They should hire you to, work, to do events on Heroes yeah. of the Storm, man. I agree. But I just wanted to say well, that. I wanted to get out, that out there. And and, the, and we will get to this question next week. It is a very good question. Uh, not that all of the other ones are. It's almost as long as Shad's time travel thing. Was that Shad? No, that was that 6K. Was 6K. It, it was as long as 6K's time travel thing. We, we don't have time for it yet. <laughs> we'll get to it next week, I promise. But if you do have questions for us, be feel, feel free to send them to us, podcast at blizzardwatch.com, or hit us up through our Discord channels, uh, and just let us know what you want us to talk about. Send us some questions. We love hearing from you. I love getting your questions, even when they're like six Ks. And I, man, seriously, I think you've watched too much, uh, too much Quantum Leap. Just throwing that out I'll, there, buddy. I'll, I'll be upfront with you, dude. I think you're overcomplicating things, which is a, a problem a lot of people have when they deal with time travel. You keep thinking that cause and effect are important, but they're not. This is time travel. Time travel, cause and effect no longer link in that way. You don't you don't have to have the cause before the effect. And the cause doesn't even need to actually be the cause. Uh, I want to recommend uh, Finney's The Third Rail. I mean, The Third uh, Level. Yes. Uh, go read that. And then you'll start to get, you know, we, we'll, we'll talk about Tan, Ukbar, Orbis Tertius by Borges. And we'll get into it. And, and I promise you, you'll start to see this in a different way. But with that said, Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on the podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience.
So thank you very much, and we will see you next week. Fruit! Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.